What's happening, everybody? Welcome into episode three of Locked On Tigers. I am your host, Chris Castellani. As promised, Friday will be a mailbag day, answering all your questions. Not a whole lot to talk about in terms of what's going on in Lakeland with the Tigers and spring training right now, so we're just going to jump right into the mailbag. I got a lot of questions sent in. I appreciate all of you doing that, so I may not get to your question today. But don't worry, I got a lot of this stuff backlogged. I may get to your question during our next mailbag. And uh, if you feel uh, so inclined, please keep sending in questions for our mailbag segment. I I hope to get to as many as I can today. Like I said, I try not to go longer than, say, 20, 25 minutes here. So uh, I just might not be able to get to all of them, but I'll do my best. The very first question comes in from Jeff Rieger. He says, Brad Ausmus? Most hated Tiger of all time or someone else? There's a lot of candidates. Give me your top five. Congrats, man. Well, thank you, Jeff, and thank you for sending in that question. Jeff Rieger, a great broadcaster, very, very good guy as well, uh, and a a good follow on Twitter, especially if you're a Tigers fan and a Michigan fan. Very nice person. Uh, And I've thought about this, and two, three years ago, this would have been such an easy list for me to come up with because I hated everybody, it seemed, and I've I've mellowed out a little bit since then, and what's, what's surprising is that a majority of the guys I'm about to talk about, not all, but, but most of them, uh, are actually within the golden age, for the most part, of Tigers baseball. Because the guys on the team currently, I don't have any any issue with uh, on, a, on a professional level. I think they all are, are given a full effort, unlike some of the guys I'm about to talk about, especially one of them. Most of them just aren't very talented. Like, I can't hate, I don't know, Ryan Carpenter or one of the, the slabs of baloney that the Tigers put on the mound every fifth day last year. Like, I think for the most part, uh, it's a likable enough team that just lacks talent. So a lot of these guys actually come from a time in which the Tigers were a, a marginally competitive baseball team. And I'm going to start off with number five, Joe Nathan. Joe Nathan, a disastrous signing, a tremendous career. I mean, a believe it or not, a borderline Hall of Fame career. And now he won't make it in because making it in as a reliever in Cooperstown is almost impossible unless you're Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman, it seems. But a wonderful career gets to Detroit, was terrible, which is which is bad in and of itself, but not inexcusable necessarily. Where it's inexcusable is that he didn't handle it well. He was giving the middle finger to the fans, talking about how he didn't care what the fans thought. And look, maybe he didn't. Just, just keep it to yourself, dude. Like, like that, that's a losing battle anytime you mention the fans in a negative way. And it seems like there's been several members of this team that have gotten themselves into trouble over these last couple of years trying to go after the fans as if it's their fault that this team's losing 100-plus games. At the number four spot... I have Prince Fielder. I almost had Mike Avilas because that butter-churning swing drove me nuts. But to me, the the all-time Prince Fielder quote of, I got kids, man, after he boofed the entire 2013 ALCS, unacceptable to me. Uh, number three, Hernan Perez. This was a guy who was a highly touted prospect, did nothing, did nothing in Detroit. They let him go. They ran out of options with him in 2015 when he started the season two for 33. That's a, a whopping 149 OPS. Went to Milwaukee, did some all right things, but never panned out the way they thought he would. Just drove me nuts because Ausmus would put him anywhere in the lineup and he ended the Tigers season in 2014, hitting into a double play when they were down one in the ninth inning against the Orioles. Never understood that pinch hitting decision. Swung at the first pitch, grounded into a 5-4-3 double play, end of the season. Number two, I do have Brad Ausmus. So this was actually a weird one to put because he wasn't a pl- he was a player here. I take that back. He was a player. But 
he wasn't a, a particularly unlikable player when he was here. It was before my time, obviously, but I thought the job he did managerially was pitiful. I mean, strategically, I thought he was terrible, but just never came across, and I don't think he is a bad guy. I really don't. I think he's probably a very kind person, but he never came across as likable, never never handled the media well, just always seemed like he was one or two steps behind on every question, and um, it came back to bite him. I, I can't believe they kept him here for four years, honestly. They, they should have uh, let his ass go after one. And my least favorite Tiger of all time would be Bruce Rondon. Bruce Rondon, incredible potential, a guy who got sent home in 2015 for effort level, which outside of committing a crime is the worst thing that a player can be sent home for during a season. I, I could not believe that when that report came out. Had a solid, nice little bounce back season in 2016. Seemed like he was finally destined to be the closer of the future, which they had been ready for him to take that leap for years. Shows up to camp overweight, gets rocked early in 2017, sent down to the minors, comes back. He, he was just a child. He was a petulant child who never grew up, had the slowest 100 mile per hour fastball I've ever seen, all the potential in the world, and wasted it. And it wasn't because of the Tigers pitching coaches or anything, because he went to the White Sox and he stunk there too. Bruce Rondon, my least favorite Tiger of all time. Good question, Jeff. Got me fired up now. Next question from Kenny Vieira. How long until the Tigers are realistically competitive again, and will it happen with this front office? I get asked this question probably three times a week, and I've answered it before, uh, and I'll I'll answer it again, and I'm I'm happy that I have this platform because it gives me the opportunity to answer this question in more depth. I'll start off with the answer nobody wants to hear. I don't know when they're going to be good again. If I did, I wouldn't be so frustrated. If I, if there was an actual date, I could say, oh, well, I'm going to continue to be patient until then. I don't see a big end in sight right now, which is why I'm so frustrated. Now, I, I will give a more elaborate answer. I think they can, if they want to, they can be competitive. And by competitive, that doesn't necessarily mean good, but competitive to me is like 75 to 85 wins not a team that's a pushover, but not a team that's great, and also not necessarily a team that you want to see on your schedule, a team that if they're playing some good baseball, you're going to have a tough time beating. I think they could be competitive within two years. Now, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to assume that Mize, Manning, and Scooball are going to turn out to be legitimate major league pitchers, and you're going to have to hit some home runs in free agency, probably two or three home runs over the next two years. I don't have a ton of faith that they're going to be able to do that. So I think they could be competitive in two, legitimately good within three. I have serious doubts that it will happen with this front office. I've expressed my disappointment, my frustration with Alavila as a GM. I backed off a little bit because I do think there is some truth to the notion that he's not being given carte blanche to spend which is why he's going out and getting, you know, bottom barrel guys like Austin Romine on the team. No disrespect to Austin Romine, but he's got a career war of 0.1. So I don't have a ton of faith in this front office. But to answer your question, realistically, if they do their jobs well, two years, they're going to have a competitive product on the field. All right, next question from Matt Cleator. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Will Miggy get to 500 this year? Good question. Talked about it a little bit on episode one where I felt like that would be a phenomenal individual milestone, not just from a career perspective, but from an individual season perspective. If Miggy were to get to 23 home runs this year, he needs 23 to get to that 500 milestone. If you ask me, I'm going to say no. Uh, this is a guy who has not hit more than 16, I believe, since 2016, which, in all honesty, guys, doesn't 2016 
feel like a lifetime ago. Not just for Miggy, but for the Tigers organization. So no, I, I unfortunately, I would view 20 as an overwhelming success. I would say we'll probably get about 15 Miguel Cabrera home runs this year, sadly. Right, in just a second, I'll be right back to answer more of your questions on this, what is the first Friday mailbag edition of Locked on Tigers. I, someone's got to answer the questions. Someone's got to be the guy to answer the important questions that the fans want to know and all be that guy. And I'll have more answers for you here in just a second. And we're back. The next question comes to us from Pat Anger. I don't think that's his real name, but if it is, that's awesome. You don't want to mess with Pat Anger. You don't want to be on the wrong side of Pat Anger's fury. I'll tell you what, man. He says, hey, man, huge fan of the podcast. Oh, you see, Mr. Anger is a sweet guy. Thank you. Loving it so far. Wish it was longer. Well, we'll give it give it some time. Maybe it will be. Who knows? The, the possibilities here are, are endless. To the moon, ladies and gentlemen. Also wanted to know what your expectations are of Kristen Stewart and Jamer Candelaria are for 2020? That's a good question because those are two guys that I think have gotten overlooked. Uh, Kristen Stewart, everyone, well, I won't say everyone, a lot of people, especially local uh, Detroit media, were pretty high on Kristen Stewart in 2018. Came up uh, at the end of 2018, showed a little bit of promise in the major leagues. Now, the one big negative against him was that apparently he couldn't play the outfield. And boy, can't he. And I don't understand, I'm amazed by the amount of people who were surprised by how much he struggled defensively in the outfield last year. This was a guy who was not a good defensive outfielder in the minor leagues. And last year, yeah, look, I'm not giving up on Kristen Stewart as a player, though as a rookie, uh, an abysmal rookie campaign. It has maybe the worst arm I've ever seen by a major league outfielder. Now, all that could be made up for. If, if the dude could hit, but like I said, he had, he had a 233 batting average, a 305 on base percentage, a power hitter with an on base percentage barely above 300. I mean, that is major cause for concern. A, a remarkably underwhelming first season by Kristen Stewart a year ago. I'm not giving up on him completely because I, I do, we have seen in brief glimpses, he'll have these stretches where you'll say, hey, this is a guy who I think could potentially hit at the major league level, has a good head on his shoulders, seems like a nice guy, early on last season, showed some promise, homered on opening day off of Daniel Hudson, who would go on to get the final out of the World Series, I mean, there, those were little moments where you felt like maybe he was about to turn it on, had a few injury problems last year, had a pretty ugly concussion, I believe, at one point, which uh, forced him to go on to the injured list for a while, my expectations, I think, are pretty low, if we, he can get to around 15 home runs, I think it would be a success. He's got to bump that OPS up. If he if he wants to, if he wants to be terrible at defense, as much as he might be trying, that's fine. But you got to make up for it offensively. You got to get an OPS close to 800 to to make up for what was last season a negative 0.6 defensive wins above replacement. So I'm not giving up on him. But last season he was given the keys to the car and was essentially told, "Hey man, you're part of the future here." This left field job is your spot if you want it. He didn't take the reins. And this outfield, which is uh, full of players now all of a sudden, is very much up for grabs. He's going to have to deliver this year or else he might not be here for very long. Another guy who might not be here for very long is Jamer Candelario. Now, Jamer was acquired in the Alex Avila-Justin Wilson deal back in 2017. 
a, a trade that I liked. I liked at the time, and I liked for quite a while. I thought Jamer showed a lot of promise at the end of 2017. Struggled in the latter part of 2018. A wrist injury might have had something to do with that. But once again, had his moments where I said, this guy looks like he's going to be part of the future here. Had a remarkably disappointing season. Last year, got sent down to the minors. At one point, and offensively last year, 643 OPS in 94 games. Uh, awful. Only a 203 batting average. Sees a lot of pitches, just not a guy who barrels up many of them. And I think right now, a guy who we believed at one point was kind of the third baseman of the future here. All of a sudden, it seems like they're moving him over to first, which I bothered me for a time because it seemed like he was improving quite a bit defensively. But he, he is a fairly good athlete. I think he'll be fine over at first base. But ideally, you want a first baseman who can hit. I mean, guy hit 203 last year at a, at a 306 on base percentage. But that's that's poor. So this is going to be his last chance. I mean, straight up. If his defense improves enough, I could see him potentially being a utility guy for another team. But this was a guy who was supposed to be the third baseman of the future here, and he's done nothing to earn that. And the organization's taken notice of it. His numbers, for the most part, offensively, have gotten consistently worse since he's gotten to Detroit, he might just be one of those big-time prospects who just never panned out, which is unfortunate because for a while there, I liked him a lot. All right, we'll take one last question. This one coming in from JP. Scoper Crone, who has better potential to net a solid prospect slash player at the deadline? Look, I, I don't think either one of these guys are going to get much back, mainly because two reasons. One, I mean, they're not that great to begin with, and two, they're rentals. I mean, they're rental players, so you'd only be getting them for half a season anyway. But with that said, I think the guy probably with the more possibility of getting a solid return back would be Jonathan Scope because he brings more to your team. CJ Crone, solid player, fine player, is a one-tool guy. He's a power hitter, you know, not a sparkling defender, not a great base runner. Jonathan Scope has shown in the past that to be a player with more than one tool, a solid defender, lifetime 4.2 defensive war. A couple years ago, put up a 5.2 war uh, in 2017 with Baltimore, a year where he finished 12th for the MVP. That was far and away his best season and probably an outlier, more of an exception and not the rule that has been his career. But a solid player, I think, brings more to a baseball team than C.J. Crone would. I don't think either one of these guys, because of the reasons I mentioned, obviously with the contract and with them in general just not being premier players, are going to get a ton back. But I feel like Scope is more likely to get a solid return. And look, if both these guys have really good years, I could see these guys being a package deal, and maybe then you could get something back for them. So I think you're more likely to get something back for Scope at this point, but that is subject to change. Who knows what kind of years either one of these guys are going to have. So that's going to be it for the first week of podcasts here at Locked on Tigers. Thank you for all the feedback, guys. Thank you for the questions. It means a lot. We're going to take a few days off here, and then we will be back on Monday talking more about what's happening in Lakeland with the Tigers in spring training. As always, if you want to contact my personal Twitter, you can find me there at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can follow this show's Twitter account. That's at Locked on Tigers. If you want to email me a question or just email me and just say hi, you can email this show, LockedOnTigers at gmail.com. And we are also on Apple Podcasts as well. So go to iTunes, search up Locked on Tigers. I believe we're the first one that shows up. Click that. And and if you feel so lucky, if you have an iTunes account, 
leave a positive review. That would be much appreciated and would very much make my day. So thank you to all of you for listening. This has been a solid first week. I can't wait to see where this thing goes the closer and closer we get to opening day. Well, I love you all very much. Thank you for listening and go Tigers.